Thank you, Chris. And uh, good morning from me, everybody. Glorious day. <coughs> and uh, we're in Exodus chapter 3, which we've called Jesus in the Flames. And that's really important for everyone here. It was then and it is now, whether you're at home listening or here. And uh, just to, I've got lots of questions for you today to keep you awake and relatively interested. And the first one is this. Um, what is the number one asked question on Google? Now, for those who don't know Google, it's on the computer and it's like a search engine and you put a question in and it tells you the answer and various things like that. Um, what's the number one? I've got the top four questions. What do you think the number one is? I guess you have to just think about it quietly and not even shout out an answer. What do you think that might be? Number one asked question on planet Earth. Uh, I'll give you it in reverse order. Number four was how to tie a tie. Number three, how to register to vote. Uh, number two, what time is it? <laughs> I find that funny because if you're on a device on Google, the device has already got the time on it, but never mind. Number one was what's my internet IP address? I had to look that up as well. An IP address, like you've got an address where you live, your computer has an address, and that sometimes you need to tell people what that is. And the number one question on Google is, what is my IP address? Isn't that fascinating? Maybe not. On the theme of um, questions, I then started thinking, well, what would God's number one question be to us? Uh, we're always typing in questions. And I think if you summarize the Bible... His question to us wouldn't be, what's your internet IP address? It would be essentially, the message of the Bible is this, have you met Jesus? Uh, that's what the Father's been asking planet Earth back then and now. Have you met Jesus? Why is he asking that? Because there's life in Jesus. Only Jesus, because he's full of life. And uh, we're talking about freedom from all sorts of chains, as Chris put it, that we've all got. But Jesus is the life man, the chain breaker. He teaches us how to live. He shares forgiveness and peace and life with God, which lasts forever. So have you met Jesus? Right, I have. Um, I met him in, well, I'm not sure exactly when. I don't think I have a moment. I used to think I had a moment, but I think he was, he was gently alongside me in my early life as well. I was just ignoring him for large parts of it. But I have, and some people here will tell you they've met Jesus as well. Lots of people on earth will say that. So, my next question then is, if this is the world's most important question, have you met Jesus? What is it like to meet him? What is he like? What is it like to meet him? And Exodus chapter 3, Moses meets Jesus. And what's he like? We're going to learn. It's a really strange event. The burning bush, ours didn't make it to chapter 3. Oh, because it was amazing. But this one was just slightly better. Only just. Um, this was a miraculous one. And it's on fire. And it's a strange one. It even says that in the Bible reading we read. This was a strange event. Uh, but it teaches us about Jesus and what's it like if we meet him. And Moses meets Jesus in the burning bush. I'm just going to reread verse 6. 
Then he said, that this is the person in the bush, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses was afraid and hid his face because he didn't want to look at God who is in this bush. Um, so now the next question is, what's with the burning bush? Isn't that strange? What's with these flames? So take a moment and have a think. Why is Jesus in a bush? Um, well, to answer that, I'm going to ask you another question. Um, have you ever felt like you're out of something that everybody else is in on? Outside of something? I have. Like you don't quite fit in. Um, like I think we all know it to a social degree. Oh, my, I don't feel included. I'm not as close with that chap as someone else is. Um, like I always just slightly feel I've missed out on something. Don't know if you've ever felt that. I have. Um, or you watch an advert on the TV, you buy the product and you're like, mm. I was just outside of what that advert led me to believe I would feel like when I got the new shampoo or whatever it was. Um, music videos, everyone's so like happy in music videos. I'm like, oh. Um, holiday brochures, you finally get to where you wanted to go and it's like, hmm, that's all right. But, you know, there's always that bit of frustration. Oh, it's not exactly like the brochure. Now, I'm not saying there's not loads of things to be happy about on earth, and uh, we mustn't be grumpy, but I do think all of us experience in this life the sense that oh, it's just out of reach. The all-fulfilling something is just out of reach. And like we experience it, relationships break down, even with the lady of your dreams or the man of your dreams. It can break down. One person or both felt, oh, I was just outside of something that I thought was going to happen. You can get a job and it can end up being a, more of a headache than the answer to all of your uh, like dreams and aspirations. Musicians write about this all the time and at the concerts you get your lighter out and you sway it because you just agree this, there's this sense of mystery and we're all chasing something. Um, we know the barrier. We know that. Everybody knows that sometimes. And it affects poor people and rich people and everybody in between. That sense of something. Also, I don't know if you're brave enough to admit this one, but I will. There's also the sense of disconnect, a barrier, not just between uh, me and someone else, but us and God. Us and God. Like on the man and God level as well, there's this outsideness that we can feel. Um, I'll be honest, I think every human, including myself, is born naturally to want to be our own God. And we often think, well, if there is a God up there, he's generally in the way of me doing things how I want to do things. There's a barrier. Um, like, we can't quite connect. Like, almost there's a war between us and the living God, because he's often in my way. And for those of us that are Christians... It's a really painful process when you get to realize there's a barrier, like that conviction, oh man, I've, I need to bow the knee here. It's painful because there has been a barrier up until that moment, a fiery barrier between us and God and often us and other people, that outsidedness. The Bible teaches it's a fiery 
barrier that loads of people wake up today and they're like, I would rather die than go to church. I hate God. If he is there, I hate him and I'm going to one day meet him if he is there and I'm going to give him what for? Yeah, that's a barrier. And that's not going to work out like that on that day. The barrier is taught in Genesis. And the sinners are outside of this garden where God lives. And it's blocked by flaming swords. You cannot just swan in here because you have got sin. And naturally you're at war with me. That's the barrier. It's a flaming sword. A flaming barrier. And the irony is, the Bible teaches, the problems on a man-to-man level that we've all had stem from the man and God problem. That we don't love others like we should because we're not fundamentally being godly. Because he wants us to do that, but we're rubbish at it because of this barrier. That's basic bread and butter Christianity. We have a problem. There's a barrier. The, um, right. And on planet Earth right now, and at the time of Moses, there are two groups of people, really. One group, they realize there's a barrier, and they want something to help them with that problem. And this sermon's going to be relatively interesting for people who are getting to that position. There's another group of people who are happy there's a barrier and hate God, and will die hating God, and will wage war with Him throughout eternity. Um... Wherever we fall on that category, the fact remains true. There is a barrier, a sinful, problematic barrier blocking us from being full-filled to be who we were meant to be. To be at peace. We're often at war instead. I cannot just swan in to the throne room of Buckingham Palace and demand an audience with the Queen and give her what for? I'd probably be shot on the way in. I am outside of that. And that is a mini picture of not being worthy to just swan in the presence of God as we like. There's a barrier. It's been there since Eden. And people have been trying to figure out life ever since, and often not including God, in it, and we fail. The barrier is a real problem. Like some people try and be goody two-shoes all their life and hope that it just solves life problems. I would liken that, like to take a paracetamol to try and cause, uh, to try and cure cancer. The problem is too great. Even if you're a relatively goody two-shoes, there's still a barrier. We've still got this problem of sin. That's the one side. I read this week, I don't know if you've ever uh, read about these people, in Kyoto in Japan, there's a group of people called the Japanese Marathon Monks, and they are trying to find enlightenment and peace and fulfillment, like many people have. They're trying to get around that barrier and figure out final peace and joy. And they do it by running... 1,000 marathons in seven years. I was reading an article on them. To reach inner knowledge and peace through extreme discipline. I'll just say that again. 1,000 marathons in seven years. Now, I drew up a huge itinerary to read to you about what they go through every day. But I, I thought that would be like a three-hour sermon. I'm going to stick that on Facebook if you want to read that 
later. But just to dip your finger in that this is a real problem and we all try and solve it. In Japan, these monks who think you can reach enlightenment, on year seven, uh, you've got to run a marathon a day for 100 days, sometimes two or three a day. And um, on day 101 of year seven, if you make it that far, you can pull out up to year seven, day 100. If you get to uh, year seven, day 101, you're not allowed to pull out. And there's no withdrawal. So each monk must either complete the Kaiho uh, Gyo Marathon, I think that's how you say it, or take your own life. And so, for the last 100 plus years, only 46 men have completed this challenge. And there are hundreds of unmarked graves on this mountain where they practice these marathons. Hundreds trying to find out the reality and peace of final enlightenment. So in the last few days, you've got to take a length of rope and a sword with you. Because if your body packs in, you've got to take your own life. Because you failed. I think that's tragic. You might be thinking, well, that is tragic. But we're all chasing something. Like, loads of people aren't comfortable in their own skin or with their friends and their lives and they're chopping and changing. Everyone is chasing. Whether you're a monk in Japan or someone in the UK who does it slightly differently, there's a real outsidedness about it that we're trying to address. And Moses walks up to a mountain where God the Father is going to be on the top of it. And lo and behold, here is the barrier in a bush. And it's a miracle. Here's verse 3. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight where the bush does not burn up. This is God's barrier. It's a miracle. This is it. Life's problem in one place displayed. And in it, in this barrier, there's an angel, a messenger. There's a person, and he is greater than the fire. And that's why the bush is not being consumed. There's someone in it, and it's not consuming him. He has this barrier under wraps and in control, and he makes it safe so Moses can go near. Finally, there's a go-between between God up there who's got the keys to life and all fulfillment and peace and joy, and here's a man coming, and, and now there's a go-between person in the middle who says, all right, come close. Isn't that fascinating? And this one who has the power over this problem is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he takes various forms in the Bible to rescue his church. In verse 4, he's called the Lord, the Lord God. In verse 14, he's called I Am. That's who this angel is, I Am. Now that is the fancy word in the old language. If you squeeze I Am together in their language, you get Yahweh, the name of God. This is the one who's in the bush. And you probably, if you know John's Gospel... When they try and kill Jesus, when they realize they hate him, is in John chapter 8, and he says to religious people, oh yeah, you know Abraham? Yeah. Before he was born, I am. I was around. 
I knew Abraham. We had food together. And he's quoting this I am in the book. That was me. This is me. And then it says, and then they picked stones up to throw at him because of the blasphemy. Because then, as now, there's two groups of people in the world. People who want Jesus to solve their problems and people who hate him because he's God. So here's the angel in the bush and he's like, I am the self-existing God, ever full, ever flowing, utterly reliable fixer of the world. And you're enslaved and I'm all you need. You, you want to meet my father on this mountain. I will do that for you. And I'll lead the church there. We've got the Son of God here. And here's another question for you. Why on earth is he an angel? What's an angel? So I'll give you a few seconds to think about that. You can Google it when you get home if you want. What's an angel? Children, maybe draw an angel for the second half of this. What is it? At home there with your pens and your papers. Well, don't think, oh, a created being with wings. Because there are those, but in its basest form, angel isn't one of those. Angel means messenger. A bringer of a message. That's what the word means. And in this bush is the angel. So not one of the created ones, but the messenger. And in the Bible, when Jesus is born of Mary, he visits planet Earth again after Mary, and he, he keeps saying, I'm the one who's been sent. I've got a message for you. And he does it here, and he does it now. What's the message to the Japanese monks, or to Park End, or to people listening online? Come to me. I've been sent to tell you, come to me. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest from all of those problems that you're carrying. Come to me and I'll reconnect you back to the source of life. And what happens is, in verse 5, something interesting. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I've got a question for you. Why do you take shoes off when you go into someone's house? Unless they tell you not to. Why do you do that? There's a few answers, but Jesus tells me, Moses to take his shoes off. I won't do it. You'll be glad to know. Well, a minister in Swansea once preached on this, and I think he hit the nail on the head, and he said this. It's when you come in and you're staying a while to someone's house. Isn't that true? I'm not going anywhere for a while. And this is the key with the angel. He is so holy, but yet we're invited in to stay for a while. We can't resist when we see Jesus who he is. He's like, come in, listen and learn, Moses. You're going to be here for some time. Take your shoes off. Welcome to my world and my house. Now let me teach you a thing or two. Now go tell planet Earth. Jesus is so beautiful, holy and wonderful. Even the mud under and around him becomes holy, holy ground. Oh, I'm going to take my feet off. It's so holy and I'm going to stay. Like Jesus is attractive. 
way more than our smut and our sin. He is better than that. I read the other day in 2 Samuel chapter 6, where they're carrying the seat of God, and it wobbles a bit, and a chap runs up to try and stop it from hitting the mud, oozer. And he puts his hand out, and because he just touches the seat of the Holy God, he's struck dead instantly. You're like, why does that happen? Well, the answer is, like, God is so holy and we're so sinful, the mud is more holy than Uzzah's hand. You can't just swan up even where God is near unless Jesus is there bridging the gap. Like, mud does a better job of honoring God often than human beings do. And we get zapped. I'd have rather my seat hit ground. That's the problem of sin. It's massive. But when Jesus is near, Moses, take your shoes off. Let's get to know each other. It's mind-blowing. And he does that now. And I call everybody listening at home to come to Jesus. Why? Because he makes us holy. Because he makes us godly. Because that barrier of sin and shame and guilt, he handles that. We'll see why in a minute. But when we touch Jesus, He shares His life and holiness with us. That's why Jesus wants churches to be Jesus-centered. So we come with Him this morning with what? Our attitudes. Touch our attitudes, Jesus. Make them holy. You can make the mud holy. You can make my attitude towards others holy. Make me gracious and loving and forgiving. Make church like Jesus. My finances, Lord, I'm going to make them connect with Jesus. I'm going to ask Him how He wants me to live my life, even with my money, my words, my attitudes, my clothing, what I watch. When Jesus touches mud, He makes it holy. When Jesus touches every bit of us, it becomes more alive than it was before it becomes holy. And Moses finds that with this bush where even the mud is glorious. Like, oh, and man, I've got so much shame in my life. And yep, come to Jesus. He'll make that holy. He'll turn it around. He'll deal with it. That is who God is. He is sent. The Father sends the Son to be the Savior of the world. And that includes us. How did that happen? Well, because at Calvary, he hung on a tree and it says the flames and the anger and the barrier was poured out on him instead of us. That's how we come near. Our biggest problem, Jesus has taken it to the grave, dealt with it, killed it, risen again, shares his life with us. No barrier. No barrier. A friend of mine spoke to an atheist and he said this. Um, he asked the atheist, what would make you believe in God? The atheist said, I would need a burning bush experience. My friend asked him, what does that look like today? My friend said, if the stars in the sky rearrange themselves, spell out the Ten Commandments, then I'd believe. My friend said, what a horrible miracle that would be. What a horrible God that would be. A dazzling display of power above us that simply commands us to obey. Wonderful. That's not what the burning bush is about. The burning bush shows us a very different use of divine power. The God of Exodus doesn't dazzle us with displays above 
and powers that we can't have anything to do with, our God comes down into the furnace to be with us, for us, to carry us out. This God is the God of the cross. He doesn't dazzle us with visions above. He shows Himself by coming to join us where we need Him most. Disconnected, lifeless, to save us. And to close, for the next 90 seconds or so, I just want to say one more thing. For those of us who do belong to Jesus, but boy, are you having a tough time. And you're in Exodus chapter 2 where it says, the church groaned out to God. And then in chapter 3 says, it says, God heard their groans. That might be you. Monday morning, groan. God was concerned about them. Well, here's another picture. Moses also uses flames in this way when he sometimes talks about flames. Flames in the Bible, as we close, can also be a, a picture of church suffering. God's people are described often in the Bible as plants, vines, branches, bushes, or trees. And in five other books of the Bible... Their sufferings are called a furnace of affliction. So here we have, possibly now, the picture of church in the furnace of affliction groaning. Lord, I need help in my life. And lo and behold, here comes Jesus right in the middle of life with them. Keep going. Every day, come to Jesus. He's with you and all is not lost. All the way, my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His faithful mercies? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, heir by faith in Him to dwell. For I know what e'er before me, Jesus doeth all things well. That is who the living God is. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.